Hello, and welcome to Teacher in Zion Podcast, a podcast for Christians, Mormons, ex-Mormons, and other Book of Mormon believers, or anyone questioning their faith or the church, with an emphasis on seeking the truth wherever it leads, but especially in gaining a closer relationship with Jesus Christ. I am your host, Doug Hatton, a.k.a. Teacher in Zion, and this is episode 13 of the podcast entitled Priesthood as a Form of Idolatry. As you can probably deduce by the title of this week's episode, the subject matter we're going to tackle may be a bit sensitive for some people. And as a people, it is true that our notions of priesthood and authority are important to us, and to ask questions on that topic may be to open the proverbial can of worms. But before we open that messy can, let's begin with some positive news. God is at work, and many others stand now as a witness to the fact that we are truly on the edge of something wonderful. That something wonderful is Christ. His name is Wonderful. And he can transform each of us and lead us into the kingdom if we are willing. And it isn't by becoming a member of the right denomination, but by personal relationship with him, letting him change you from the inside to become a new creature. Native Americans are beginning to spiritually awaken, some even beginning to recognize the covenant that was made with them through Lehi, and before that, Joseph and Manasseh. And Jews in Israel are coming to Jesus, reports numbering in the many thousands, who now testify that the resurrected Christ is appearing to them. And finally, more and more, Book of Mormon believers from LDS, RLDS, and other denominational backgrounds are truly being converted to Christ and the plain and precious doctrine of Christ, forsaking the traditions of the church and the traditions of men in favor of personal relationship with Christ, the transformative experience that it is, forsaking dead religion for the living God of Israel. But we still have some things that God needs us to work through if we will but trust him. We are counseled to stand on the true foundation, but others have tried to build upon that foundation in the past, but not according to the will of God, but the will of man. They have built up walls, levels, and extra additions that do not belong, being that they are not a part of God's blueprint. Because of this, we may need to get out the sledgehammers and knock some of these man-made edifices out, thereby removing all those things which separate our feet from standing directly on the one true foundation. Human wisdom cannot accomplish this, but it is God's word and his spirit that must direct it. Consider this. If facts about our church history or questions regarding the church and its traditions can destroy our faith, then I would think that our faith was in the church or in men and never truly in Christ where it belongs. 
there is only one true foundation, and everything that can be shaken will be. So let us stand on Christ alone. And with that said, let's get into it. Over the years, at various times, I have pondered and prayed about the nature of the priesthood, and especially about the differences between what is found in the Bible and the Book of Mormon in comparison to what we find in the Doctrine and Covenants. In 2019, I felt the Holy Spirit impress upon me the following words. There is a problem with the understanding that the Restoration people have in regards to the priesthood. In 2020, I had been contemplating what appeared to be contrasts between the traditions of the Church and what the Book of Mormon teaches. When one morning, while driving to work, I heard the Spirit of the Lord quote a portion of a parable of Jesus to me. Quote, The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. End quote. I sat still, waiting, wondering why God had quoted this parable. And then the Spirit spoke again, and he said, This is the story of the restoration. At that moment, my mind and heart were turned to the earliest days of the restoration when Joseph Smith was working to build up a new church. And I understood. God had planted good seed in that field by bringing forth the Book of Mormon and revealing himself more fully to humanity. However, almost immediately, Satan sought to make inroads through the weaknesses of men. Unaware of how they were being used, Satan planted his own seeds, even going so far as to infiltrate some of the revelations and doctrines given to the church. Both the good and the bad seed would grow up side by side bringing forth a mixture of fruit that hindered the progress of the church and caused it to depart from the right way. The more I study, contemplate, and have these spiritual experiences where the Lord speaks to me about the restoration and also the priesthood, the more I begin to think that our present concept of priesthood and the hierarchy or structure of church leadership somehow got so convoluted, complicated, and overblown that it borders on a form of idolatry. That the various callings and ministries in the church are actually so very simple and not so puffed up as we have allowed them to become. I believe the power of the priesthood has less to do with quote-unquote authority, like a superpower that can just be passed on to you by another man because they happen to belong to the correct denomination, whether or not they have the Holy Spirit truly working in their life. And that it is instead relational to the intimate relationship they have with God by abiding in Christ and acting according to the guidance of his Holy Spirit. It is God that calls men and women into service. And I speak here of the distinction between the portion of priesthood that men hold and the portion that women hold, even as Newell K. Whitney and Joseph Smith expressed to the women of the Relief Society in 1842, saying, quote, In the beginning, God created man, male 
and female, and bestowed upon man certain blessings peculiar to a man of God, of which women partook, so that without the female side all things cannot be restored to the earth. It takes all to restore the priesthood. Regardless of what you think about that, we do have biblical examples of, for example, husband and wife ministry teams, Priscilla and Aquila in the New Testament, who together were listed as one of the 70 evangelists in the early church documents. And then we have Deborah the prophetess, for example, one of five women described as a prophet in the Old Testament, where we have in her an example of a woman who had a husband, but she was the one who excelled in spiritual matters as she judged Israel. And then finally, we also have the royal priesthood of the believer as spoken in First Peter. But not to go too far afield from our purpose in today's episode, suffice it to say that when God calls a person, he is the one who bestows that authority. If God calls someone into ministry, but the denomination or local congregation rejects that call by, let's say, a vote, does that mean they were never called? Did God make a mistake? Since when does the will of the people cancel out the will of God? The Israelites never got a vote to sustain Moses or John the Baptist or Isaiah, for example. In fact, they often killed the prophets as they were seen as outside meddlers, a nuisance. They were seldom chosen by a nation, but chosen by God to judge that nation or warn them and call them to repentance. Perhaps our ordinations are really just an acknowledgement that we understand and believe in the call that God has set forth for that individual signifying that we will indeed acknowledge and accept that particular ministry. And through these actions, the act of ordination, we show that we will see it done on earth as it is in heaven. In 2021, I was attending a service at a congregation I would soon be asked to pastor. The man giving the sermon opened to the Doctrine and Covenants And then I heard the Spirit of God say to me, Who is speaking in the two revelations on priesthood in the Doctrine and Covenants? I was stunned by the question. Searching my memory, I recalled those revelations would be sections 17 and 104 in the RLDS Doctrine and Covenants. Respectively, it is section 20 and 107 in the LDS edition. And as my thoughts raced, and all my recollections about the Doctrine and Covenants, generally speaking, it seemed that Christ identified himself as the one speaking in those revelations. But here, God was asking me this question. I take it rather seriously when I hear the voice of the Spirit, and God always has a good reason for asking such questions. So it made me wonder. I never did hear the rest of that sermon. I picked up my Doctrine and Covenants, And I read through those two revelations. And to my astonishment, neither of these two revelations identify who is speaking. In one place only, buried deeply in section 104, verse 31 of the RLDS, 
or its section 107 of the Aldeas. Only in one place does it appear that Joseph is quoting something that the Lord had told him at some point, saying, quote, Verily I say unto you, saith the Lord of hosts, there must needs be presiding elders to preside over those who are of the office of an elder, End quote. which may have perhaps been a direct quote from the Spirit and a revelation that Joseph had received at some point and that he was then referring to that in this section. But besides this one place, both of these revelations read as if Joseph is simply enumerating everything that he understood up to this point about the priesthood, but without identifying how he came about this knowledge. Neither one of these revelations are written as if it is asserting itself to be the very words of God. In fact, it is made quite plain in numerous places that that is not the case, but that these are the words of Joseph or some other person who is assisting him. And I say that because the point of view that these revelations are spoken from is that of a man who is writing and speaking about God in the third person. For example, in section 17 of the RLDS, or 20 of the LDS, it reads, The rise of the Church of Christ in these last days, being 1,830 years since the coming of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, in the flesh, it being regularly organized and established agreeable to the laws of our country by the will and commandments of God in the fourth month and on the sixth day of the month, which is called April, end quote, etc. So, what does this mean? If you want to know the answer to that, you must study the matter out and ask God for yourself. You know, it's my firm testimony that Joseph Smith is innocent of a great many things that he has been accused of, or unwillingly made an accomplice to after his death when he could no longer refute their lies. But it also remains a truth that he was a man and as such prone to error as any man. For example, when Joseph allowed himself to be persuaded that in order to keep control of the church, in order to keep false revelation or wolves in sheep's clothing out of the church, and I'm citing here RLDS Doctrine Covenants 27, or LDS at section 28, when Joseph declares himself in a revelation that he is the head of the church and the only one that can receive revelation for the church, and furthermore, gives counsel to Oliver Cowdery and others that it is unseemly for any man below Joseph's station of president to attempt to correct him being that he was their quote-unquote head. Not only did this make Joseph the head of the church rather than Christ, but this act cemented the notion of the church having a the prophet, a single prophet that we must all look to for our instructions in order to know the will of God, and thereby reinstituting the role of priesthood under the old covenant where God was behind a veil and only the high priest could enter in. By contrast, when Moses was told that there were certain people in the camp of Israel who were prophesying and that he should put a stop to it because, you know, only he 
should be the one doing that sort of thing. Moses rebuffed them, saying, Envious thou for my sake? Would God that all of the Lord's people were prophets. Whatever or whomever influenced Joseph to believe that this was the right course of action, the result was that it diminished the role of the prophets, plural, to the church. Having prophets, plural, in the church, as we read about in Ephesians 4, is how it is accomplished that in the mouth of multiple witnesses is every word of God established. Having just one man become the unquestioned mouth of God makes it all the easier for Satan to deceive and to lead the church astray. It set a precedent for idolatry and a dependence upon the arm of flesh that the saints have never fully recovered from. I love Brother Joseph, and I will personally refute a great many sins that have been laid at his doorstep that he is innocent of. We should not be quick to believe unjust accusations leveled against him or anyone else without proof. But pretending that he never did stumble, or that whatever he ever said or wrote must be the truth or the word of God, is a form of idolatry, and it will not serve us. It only makes it harder for us to get free of the traditions of man and the erroneous doctrines that have crept into the church. In contemplating the priesthood as we have understood it and comparing it to what we see in the Bible and in the Book of Mormon, I will confess that I have had many questions. And some of those questions the Lord has answered, while others remain unanswered. Regardless, it is not for me to dictate the truth of these matters to you. I only see in part, and I must also await additional confirmation. In the mouth of multiple witnesses will God establish his truth. And that truth also must be in harmony with what God has given us in the Bible and in the Book of Mormon, the two records which the Lord has joined as one in order to confound false doctrines. To conclude this episode of the podcast, I would share the following. The gifts of the Holy Spirit, prophecy, tongues, interpretation, visions, words of knowledge, healing, miracles, authority over demons, etc. These gifts of the Holy Spirit are given to those who truly believe in Christ and walk in covenant with him as his disciple, having been baptized in water and also having received the baptism of fire and the Holy Ghost. And are not those gifts so much greater than the sum of what few extra duties someone with a priesthood office can perform, at least according to the traditions of the church? In other words, be able to preside over a meeting or perform an ordinance when needed. When we read about the signs and wonders that followed Jesus and his apostles of old, which signs and wonders and miracles caused the people who saw them to believe and give their lives over to Christ? Was this not the result of the gifts of the Spirit at work among them? There is only one recorded incident where Jesus ever anointed the sick with oil. Most of the time, healings and miracles came as a result of a command or when he laid his hands on a person, or by some other method as the Spirit led. 
it wasn't just an administration or a prayer. The apostles performed water baptism. But aside from that, the bulk of their ministry would not be in performing ordinances, but in working powerfully in the gifts of the Holy Spirit, which served as a witness of the truth of their words. In the final chapter of the book of Mark, and again in the book of Mormon as well, we are told that these signs shall follow those who believe that, for example, they shall lay their hands on the sick and they shall recover. That's not just priesthood, but the believers. Getting back to the priesthood then, in the church, we have men lay hands on someone in order to confer the priesthood because someone had laid hands on them who had hands laid on them. Going back to Joseph Smith. But what do we come away with? Without being born again, and without becoming a new creature in Christ so that we walk in new life and with the signs that follow the believer, of what value is a priesthood title without those things? The Apostle Paul was able to give counsel to the Corinthians regarding the gift of tongues because he said, quote, I speak with tongues more than you all, end quote. The Apostle Paul knew what he was talking about. So I'll leave you with this thought. It really means considerably less to us when a person advising us on how to drive a car has never actually driven one in their life. So how is it then that we look to men who hold a title but do not walk in the power thereof? That we should seek their guidance rather than turning directly to the Lord and directly to his word and to his spirit in order to receive those answers for ourselves. And that is not to say that there is no need for positions of ministry in the body of Christ, but rather that those who fill those positions must truly be called of God, and they need to go the distance with God so that they are able to bring back the fruit of it, that in having done themselves what they are preaching, we may have living examples of what can happen when we give everything to Christ. And if I haven't totally offended you up to this point, I hope you will join us again. And please, send comments and questions by email to teacherinzion at gmail.com. Until next time, God bless. Join us for discussion in our Facebook group, facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash hope of Zion or at our YouTube channel, Teacher in Zion. That's the word teacher, space, and in Zion spelled as one word. My books can be found at amazon.com forward slash author forward slash Douglas Hatton. That's H-A-T, like a hat on your head. T-E-N, like the number 10. Until next time.